Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have Jared Latch, who is the co-founder of Spiracle Media, which is a video content agency built to tell stories. Jared has worked in broadcasting, media, and digital for almost 20 years. In 2011, he took the chance and went all in as the co-founder of Spiracle Media. In this episode, we talk about many different things as always, including how the company got started. And in the beginning, they were working with Steph Curry, the NBA player, in his first few years in the NBA, how that relationship came about, how they transitioned into business customers from these professional athletes, how Jared found his co-founders, what Spiracle Media actually does now compared to what they did before. They've, like I said, shifted their business model a little bit. And even going into Jared's broadcasting career, he is the voice of Davidson Basketball. So many fun topics in this episode. I really think you will enjoy it. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast. Support the show by leaving a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. And sign up for the weekly grind, my weekly newsletter. It comes out every Friday with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. When you want to launch a business, grow a business, all of that, justgogrind.com slash newsletter. You can sign up there for free. Without further ado, here is Jared Latch from Spiracle Media. Jared, welcome to the show. Appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for having me. Yeah, happy to have you on and talk about a lot of different things with launching Spiracle and also video storytelling and broadcasting and so many different fun topics. Where I want to start is with how Spiracle Media actually got its start. Well, Spiracle, you've got to go back a few years. Thankfully, uh, 2011 in March of that year is when we officially started. But I'd say uh, a few years up to that point, I was roommates with my current business partner and good friend, Tim Bear. And we used to sit up on the on the porch at night and in the same house with a, a bunch of guys. We used to call it the unofficial frat house for a little while. And we'd have a few beers. And, you know, we had worked in the media for a long time, you know, a decade or beyond working crazy hours and local television. And we thought, what's next? Uh, because eventually we wanted to to have families and, and get married and settle down a little bit. And we didn't want that hustle and bustle as part of it. So we came up with the idea that we could work with professional athletes in the social media space. It was something that we had evolved with. Uh, the timing was perfect because being added to our plates as we worked in the media, were updating the website, sending out a tweet, posting things on Facebook. So those were things that we understood pretty well. And it was really taking off at that point. So that was the initial idea was to, to work with these athletes. We had some current relationships in the Charlotte market. And that's really how we got things off the ground. And that was the idea, helping athletes leverage their platforms to not only control their message, because we knew well that they didn't need us as much as they used to in local media to project their message. They could control yeah. it and craft it themselves. So that was our starting point uh, for Spiracle. Yeah, and from there then, so you knowing that they they could, they had this medium with social media and everything to be able to project their their voice. And like, what did you see your involvement as with that? Like, what did you see your your role in that exactly initially? We looked at it as an extension of the agency that they were working with their their primary agent because a, a lot of these agents would say they were doing it well, but they weren't. So we wanted to be an extension of that team and help these athletes. And fortunate for us. We had the relationship with Davidson College. Uh, I had come down to Charlotte in 2007 
and worked for the ABC affiliate here. That was the year that Davidson went on their Elite Eight run, which happened in, mm-hmm. in 2008. So we knew Steph from there, and our, our third partner at the time, Bill Voth, uh, opened up the conversation with Steph as he was going to the NBA, and eventually we got to the point where he said, all right, you're, you're part of, of Team Curry, let's do this. So we were helping <laughs> alongside the agency with him in his first three to four years in the NBA to really elevate his brand, just to, to have him be active in that space, reaching out to, to fans in a way that you didn't see all over the place. It's, it's, normal, it's normal place now for athletes to use their, their following and to leverage that. Uh, Steph was one of the first to do that, and we would come up with different fan contests. Uh, we, would, we would have people uh, draw certain pictures and include certain things. It was just fun, interactive stuff for the fans, and they really felt like they got to know who Steph Curry was. Yeah, and what a big, what a big client to to have, and obviously he's grown to have such success. And I have to go back really quick. I'm from Wisconsin, and so that's very. <laughs> it brings you, up you remember bad you remember that well. For the <laughs> Wisconsin it was one of the the final to fall before they almost knocked off Kansas to go to the Final Four, which was an incredible run. So I'm sorry, yeah, that I'm sorry great. that that conjures up some <laughs> memories of of the Badgers. Part of a magical yes. year. For Davidson, unfortunately, unfortunately <laughs> for me, but great for you. Yes, wonderful for Davidson. What a what a story that was. After all, I mean, that was just a shocking kind of upset, and they just kept going. And Steph was that the legend of Steph was really growing at that point in time. And and then with with the company though, so with your company, you had that success. And how are you getting other other athletes on board? You had some connections, but how are you getting those initial kind of people on board then? Yeah, it's a great question and and one that's pivotal in the the early times of a company and and ramping up. So we're working with Steph Curry. We also had an Olympic swimmer by the name of Ricky Barons, who was out of Texas, but trained here in the Charlotte area. Uh, He won gold in the 2012 Olympics on the relay alongside Michael Phelps. So we did some things with him in terms of of logoing and, and just projecting his brand, reaching out, doing some things with his fans. And then we also moved into the business space. Because what we found out were challenges uh, with the agents. And there was a lot of red tape, although we we weren't taking a lot of money out of their pockets. It was still money. So it it became an uphill climb for us in that regard. And that was a fight we didn't want to wage. So we were sort of diversifying our our client and partner base and going into that, that business area. One of the first big partnerships that we had was with a frozen yogurt company called Euphoria, and they were on the organic side, and they were expanding very quickly. And that was actually a relationship that I was introduced through my wife, uh, who, was, who was working for that family and, and taking care of their kids on a weekly basis. And from there, that was one of our biggest retainer clients. So that was the start, I think, of giving us really a, a solid foundation and footing where we could grow. Uh, then we got another bigger retainer client. And so that was when we start, started to see things take off a little bit. We were able to support what was just myself really in the beginning and then two additional co-founders that, that came on board in a step-by-step approach. Uh, so once we got those retainers, we were able to look at it. It became more of a, a business at that point. It, it goes from an idea to servicing a couple of partnerships or clients to, okay, we might have something here. And then you look at what, what's the next best step and actually building something that looks like a business. 
Yeah, and going from the athletes and these initial clients to then landing some of these businesses and kind of changing over to that side of things, you know, how was that transition in terms of was it the same systems processes? Was it a lot different? Did you have to kind of make different things? I'm curious as to how that transition went, um, you know, systems wise and kind of how you ran things with them. The processes and the systems weren't uh, extremely different in that regard. Uh, some of the application was what was different. Obviously, if we're we're using uh, one of these marquee athletes and we're getting their message out. We're showing behind the scenes training videos or running a contest for their, their Facebook page. That's different engagement than if we're working with a business on LinkedIn. So the, the sentiment and the messaging was completely different. Uh, the brands are completely separate. However, that engagement piece is the same. It's just finding out what resonates with that audience best. So there was certainly a learning curve, but I, I think one that we were happy to engage with at that point. We've always been uh, big learners. We've wanted to push the envelope. We've wanted to leverage things in, in the digital space, especially early on. So there was some, some learning that had to occur at those moments, but it was more in the application yeah, and you mentioned as well bringing on those those co-founders after it was it was just you initially, and then kind of turning into you know a real business and growing this thing. So how did you get those co-founders on board, and then what were kind of the role separation between all of you then initially? Yeah, and just to clarify, we all co-founded at the same time. However, when you only have a certain pool of money, uh, their their engagement and them their their activity was limited in the beginning as to stepping away from their full-time jobs. Uh, Bill Voth I had worked with at the ABC affiliate here. Uh, Tim was a roommate and good friend who worked for a Spectrum news station here in town as well. So, and the way we did that was just, we had to build revenue. And, and we knew that when we got to a certain point, we could support two of us on the spherical media side. And then once yeah. we got to a certain point, we could move all three of us into that spot. So that, that was the only approach we had in the beginning was just to continue to build our partnerships, raise that revenue number, figure out a point where we could all three be supported. And, and for myself, in the beginning, I continued to do a lot of different things. I was working part-time for the NBC affiliate as a weekend sports anchor. I was doing voiceovers for Time Warner Cable. I was teaching classes at the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. So I was staying engaged in a lot of different areas so that I had my own personal revenue. And the least amount that I was pulling was from, from Spherical Medias, but we just needed to raise that revenue number and, and figure out, okay, guys, it's, it's time for you to jump in. And that's how that went. <laughs> yeah, and then and moving then forward, obviously you wanna raise the revenue, but early on in a business, and I've started different things too, you kind of, you aren't as selective, let's just say, with clients necessarily. Like you obviously have partnerships that you're trying to make, but you can't be as selective as you're trying to grow revenue. But how did that change or evolve when you became more intentional about who exactly you wanted to work with? Yeah, you're exactly right. You you take whatever you can get in the beginning because you have to you have to pay the bills on the home front and you've got to pay the, the bills that are associated with the business. So at that point you're taking care of two things. In our cases, it was uh, families, girlfriends, wives, and then on the other side, it was it was the business down to okay, here's here's the electric bill. Uh, but the, the way that that evolved was that we started in, in at, let's go two years in advance. So we start in 2011, we get to 2013. Our third our third partner and co-founder Bill Voth had the he had the the media itch. He wanted to get back in and be active. So. 
he went off and started an independent Carolina Panthers website. And he currently sits in a high digital position with the Panthers at the moment and is doing quite well. But when that happened, Tim and I had a point where we looked at where we were, we looked at the potential, and we looked at video. And we said, you know what? We're offering that as really a hook or a throw-in when we do these these social media uh, jobs, whatever is required there, that maybe that's, that's where we need to move to. So around the same time, we had one of our biggest retainer clients uh, choose to work with another agency that they were working with on some other things. So we lost that revenue piece. So we sort of had a wow moment. And in 2013, we branched out, we hired our head of video services at the time, David Kernodal, and we moved a different direction. We moved into the video storytelling. So on that side, our goal was always to build a premium brand, which was a, a slow build in the beginning, but eventually you have to you, you have to separate yourself from being a commodity and being a high-end brand. And that was our goal that we continue to push to today and where we currently sit. But it was that switch from social media, which was as critical as anything in our story and going to all storytelling. And that's been a, a slow uh, innovation in the beginning. And now there's some rapidity in, in how we've gone about it and how we've continued to shoot higher end stuff, work with bigger partnerships. It's all happened in step as part of that plan. Yeah. And doing that, I'm going to video storytelling and you said again, the production side of that, that down. I mean, what were the biggest challenges with it? You said you, it's a step-by-step process going slow. Like what were the challenges with kind of switching over? The biggest, the biggest challenge was we were all former journalists. So in the traditional media sense, a lot of us didn't have, we didn't have the cinematic background. We had the storytelling foundation. We had, we had told stories for our entire careers. But that cinematography piece was what was missing. Now, with that first key hire in David Kernodal, again, who became our, our head of video, and really at that point, our fourth team member, he had that. He worked in the traditional media space, but he did weddings on the side, and he told really good cinematic stories in that space. So it was that transition of, of learning that skill because at that point I was still shooting, I was still editing, I was fully engaged in the creative. So we came alongside each other as a tandem to push that. Uh, but it was that adjustment that was hardest for us coming out of the traditional media setting. And then, hey, we still wanna tell great stories, but we need this high-end cinematic uh, look to what we're doing and feel. So that's where all the learning and the challenges came in. Yeah, and how did you find that hire for that? How did you find him? Uh, he was a personal connection. Uh, he worked in the same station that that Tim worked in. So we knew him. He was a mutual acquaintance for Tim. He was a, a colleague, and we went out and found him. It was, uh, it was a recruiting deal, and it was a good time because I think he had switched over. He was out there in the middle of a snowstorm uh, covering uh, <laughs> Snowmageddon, and we got him at a good time where we had the conversation and we said, hey, Dave, here's what we're doing. We think you would be a, a, a really pivotal piece to this. And, and we really love what you're doing in the wedding space. And you have this skill set that we're looking for. Uh, do you just want to come alongside us and see what we can do? And he said, yes, let, let's go for it. So the timing, the timing was perfect. The hiring was perfect. 
And now he sits as our chief creative officer as we continue to grow. Yeah, and a huge part of, of growing any business is obviously the people, but to grow, then you're gonna need you're gonna need to hire more and more people. Then how did you approach kind of the, the next hires for the business and at what point did you know that you need to hire more people? Is it project by project basis I'm curious about? Or is it like I'm just curious about how's the, the hiring process have, has gone for you so far? Right. It's twofold. And that's that's probably the biggest challenge that we face. And we currently sit at a team of fifteen, which is a still a lean team. Uh, but we're hiring three more positions, so we'll be at 18. As you add, you know, in buckets of three and four new team members, it really changes the dynamic of your business and the complexity of it. And I know we'll get to culture in a moment. Uh, but for us in those hires, it's essentially twofold. Yes, you have to look at revenue and can you support, you know, where are your expenses and where is your net lie and, and how can we put people in there and support and still have a healthy margin. So that's that's from the business and the accounting side. And then on the other side, it's it's bandwidth. And you have to figure out, you're going to have pains, but are you productive enough and are you efficient enough? So those are the two things you have to weigh until you say, okay, we really need a person. So number one, can we support them? Can we pay them? And then number two, are we productive in the sense of who we have? Can we do more with what we have or can we do more with less on the efficiency side? And when you look at both of those and you're like, no, we're maxed out, uh, that's how you have to read if you need the additional person. And also for us is preparing for growth now. So it's sort of a three-headed monster. Yes, number one, can we pay support, look at margins? And then number two, on the other side, are we at max bandwidth? Or number three, is it sort of a mix and we're looking to go somewhere and grow? So we need to we need to support. We don't want to get caught in a scenario where we're selling the heck out of this, where we have these big partnerships and then we can't perform the work. That would that would be a bad spot. So it's it's a really <laughs> it's a really hard thing when you combine those three and you look to say, okay, here's our number. And what we're gonna do in the the immediate future is look at our future org chart and what that would look like and what those positions are and help us from a planning standpoint. But it's tough. I mean, hiring, the whole hiring process, but even deciding and then moving and then doing all those things is is really tough. <laughs> yeah, and like you said, with the strategy side of it, it's like if you want to grow faster or you are selling like selling it so much, but then you don't know if you can actually perform the work because you don't have enough team members. It's like, do you then hire ahead of that knowing you're gonna push or you can go slower and kind of go step by step in line with it, but doesn't always work that well. So it is, it is challenging. And, and I'll tell you what, we've always, we've always taken the, the safe approach of, okay, let's wait to get the work first and then add team members because you can do the reverse. And it's a little bit yeah. scary. It's like the chicken before the egg scenario with, do you do it before you have the work or after you have the work? But there are, there are dangers associated <laughs> with both. And you hope that those are just short-term uh, challenge points in your business or pain points. Yeah. And it does seem to depend on kind of that overall vision of where you're trying to go with the company, what everyone wants out of this and, you know, determining how fast you grow. And I've had different guests in the show and uh, one in particular, uh, she definitely is going this, the slower route with it and very okay with slower growth, getting the business first. But then there's another one that they're up to like a hundred some employees now, I think over 200 employees now, and it's been kind of a fast pace. Like, let's just, <laughs> we're going to go all out on growth and see how this, how big we can grow this thing. 
there's no right answer. It is one of those things where you do need to know then what you kind of want out of it first before you can make the decision. For sure. You do. And, and that's and, the tough thing. Yeah. And then with the culture, which yeah, I definitely want to get into as well, like how, how have you built the company culture at Spiracle then since the beginning? Yeah. You know, what was really important to us was coming from our previous world and local media where we were undervalued, we were underpaid, we worked crazy hours, we didn't have much of a, a work-life rhythm or, or balance. And that was something we wanted to instill from day one, that whoever worked here, we wanted to treat them with the utmost respect and honesty and transparency in what we were looking to do. And we wanted them to have a certain quality of life because that's what, what we were in search of when you go from uh, me personally working nine years in, in sports TV and, and essentially working 3 p.m. to midnight and working opposite of everybody else and working on the weekends and having Mondays and Tuesdays off. That was something that we wanted to get away from. And we knew that there's occasions where you've got to work nights and you have to work weekends because that's what the, the project calls for. But we wanted to make that the exception rather than the norm. And that was the path that we set ourselves on. And it's something that we continue to do today and, and something we preach about is, is that honest communication. We want to be fair when it comes to the work-life balance and rhythm. And that's really what our culture is built upon. And I, I think what's incredible for us is the things that we look at internally work externally as well and how we treat the partner and that mutual respect we have and the friendship and wanting to make things as simple as possible because we didn't want to come from that agency world where where things were overcomplicated. We want to make them as simple as possible and as high end as possible. But that starts with our internal culture and that mutual respect and building a team together that elevates everyone. And that is as critical as anything as we go forward in maintaining and preserving that. Yeah. And, and mentioning going forward, so what, what is kind of that, that vision of the company moving forward? Where do you want to take this next few years? Yeah, for us, it's essentially right now, we, over the next three years, would, would like to at least double uh, our size in, in terms of revenue. And if we can do that, you know, that's why these additional forecasting on the organizational chart and what we need to support that, because as you get more projects, you need more production uh, team, but you also need more project managers. And then eventually you need more sales. So we need to figure out what that looks like over the next two to three years in terms of the support piece. We're naturally growing right now at a, a really healthy rate and a, a high percentage. And thankfully for us, our, the, those revenue rises are parallel with our expenses. So one's not going up significantly and raising the other in terms of expenses. Yeah. Uh, but for us, it's a, it's a careful play and, and not only growing the revenue, but also growing some of our service offerings. We're about to really get into the live streaming end of things and work that in conjunction with our storytelling. But it's not live streaming in the sense of what it is traditionally. We want to apply it in different ways, uh, whether that's real-time editing or if there's big learning workshops. Uh, we, want to, we want to shoot it. We want to bring it to a different level and provide those not only for different campuses across the country in terms of uh, businesses that have people scattered, but from, from an archival standpoint as well, uh, you're getting it. So we're looking to bundle value, use the tools and technology that are out there. I think that's the key thing for us right now is how can we use existing technologies, apply them differently, don't get away from 
where we are at the core, which is storytellers, which is story is not going anywhere. But then what else can we add so that we can have these customizable offerings and just enhance the value that we can present to our partners? Right. And with with your company, too, I'm curious as to are you working with people mostly in your area or do you do a lot of work outside of kind of your general region? We have teams all over the country and well, I shouldn't say physically all over the country. We have teams that travel all around the country. We have a very big partnership up in Washington, D.C., who, ha- who works with some big brands across the country. So our guys are going all over the place. Uh, we work with some, some big partners within the, the financial industry. So in terms of story, we're being deployed to all parts of the country. So with those bigger partnerships, that's putting us in different areas of the country. We do have some partners that are located in D.C., then a lot of the other ones are in Charlotte or have big a big presence here. So then we work with their headquarters in different regions of the country. Yeah, and with that, the reason I also ask that I'm I'm curious now with working all over the country potentially. Then how do you like I guess how do you target new business in terms of finding which customers that you want to acquire? Because especially in this digital age, I mean, you can run ads and reach someone anywhere in the world essentially. And so, like, how do you then target? Like, do you prefer someone? in your area or just depends on the, the partnership? Like, how do you approach that then? Yeah, there's a lot of different variables. It's, it's looking for who the, the optimal partner that we'd want to work with. And that's looking at, you know, how big of a company they are. What's their need for storytelling? Is there an opportunity for recurring business? Are there ideas that we can pitch? A lot of this has come from our personal relationships uh, for, for Tim and I from a business standpoint. So we've been fortunate now to be in the the media and now business ownership for 20 to 25 years, which is, is crazy to think. Cause I, I don't want to think I'm that old. I'm not, uh, I'm not quite <laughs> at 40 yet. So I'm, I'm still, uh, I'm still youthful <laughs> in, yeah, in terms of, of, in terms of age. I'm, I'm going to go with that. Yes. Uh, but it's a lot. You of are, the, you are. Yeah, it, thank you. It, it's a lot of those personal connections and then finding out how do we get to that company? How do we get to the right people? And then how do we build on our existing stuff that we have? Uh, but then to run in concert with that, you know, we do run Google ad campaigns and we do things in the digital space to try to cultivate leads that we don't know even exist. And then we're also finding by being present in events, we've got a, a sales, a salesperson, an account manager on on our staff here. And he's been there for the last year and that has changed the game in terms of opportunity. So there might be a small satellite office here in Charlotte, which is a happening place in one of the fastest growing cities in the country. And we can find and uncover opportunities there. So it's a mix of personal connections, running Google ads and, and different measures in the digital space. And then just that face-to-face, which you, you can't really beat and try to look for, hey, we can find an opportunity out at event A or B. And we're combining all those efforts to move us forward. Yeah. And you said the salesperson has changed the game for you. Like, How, how so exactly? Well, he's changed uh, exposure here in the Charlotte market, uh, a goal of, of Tim and I and as a company at the beginning of last year was was own the Charlotte market. Yes, we have visions of expanding to, to different pockets of the country to support partnerships there, but we really wanted to own Charlotte. And he has been extremely active in getting our name out. He is present at two or three networking events a week. He's a part of different uh, marketing organizations. So from that standpoint, he is reaching far more people than Tim and I ever could. And you give that a year, and now certain things that have turned into long plays, 
when when people come to us, the plate is warm. They're like, yeah, we we know Spiritual Media in Charlotte. You guys worked with uh, the Charlotte Regional Business Alliance, or you worked with another partner or this nonprofit. So our name is out there more than ever. And then you combine that with some of the digital spend that we're working on, and it sort of created a perfect storm of new opportunity that we just couldn't get to. Uh, we, we wouldn't have ever had those opportunities if if Davis wasn't in place. And he's doing a phenomenal job on that side. So in terms of future growth, we'd love to add another piece alongside him to just accelerate that and to, to raise the, the amount of exposure that we can garner from going out into the community and uncovering and meeting people that we, we would have never had the opportunity to get to. Yeah. And it's actually, that reminds me of of sports because that you look at the different teams trying to own their state or their little their region you know that recruit there first but they also recruit outside of there but even like from i'll go back to wisconsin we recruit a lot they like wisconsin football for instance recruits very very heavily in wisconsin and there's lots of people there for like linemen and people that just fit what they do in wisconsin but then they also recruit outside in florida and everything else but it starts with owning your area first <laughs> and then from there expanding out and you can obviously recruit talent different ways but that seems to be a very valuable thing in business as well, especially in your, your type of industry. Yeah. And it doesn't always seem so exciting to go in your backyard, <laughs> but uh, Charlotte has given us everything we have and we love this city. So to start here and to be the premium supplier of, of video storytelling is, is our main goal. And it is, it is easy to get sidetracked and say, Hey, we want to go to this city or maybe there's opportunity elsewhere. Uh, we've got plenty of opportunity here, and that expansion is part of our is part of our foreseeable future. But we know that there's a great deal of opportunity right here in our backyard that we want to be a part of. Yeah, and I want to I want to dig into more details on actual video storytelling and some other things. But first, just with this experience so far, so you started the company in 2011. <laughs> is it what you thought it would be being an entrepreneur? Absolutely not. I had no idea. I had no idea what it was going to be. I mean, the, the things I've learned, we were not, I was not a business person. You know, in college, I, my undergrad is corporate communications. And that was my bachelor's degree. And that was, a, that was a mix of marketing and communication. And what is really weird is that, yes, I used that communication part for, for nine to 10 years on television and on starting in radio. But I never really used that marketing piece and I didn't use that, you know, any concepts from the business organizational class that I took in college that I thought, boy, this is really hard, but it's interesting. So it only took a decade to get back to that and to continue to learn. But it's it's an amazing, incredible journey that is the hardest thing you can ever do in your life. I in, in my case, I I compare it to parenting. It's it's the most beautiful, amazing thing to be a father, but it is also the hardest thing you could ever do. And it's the same way as an entrepreneur and a business owner. So I had no expectation. I've sort of just gone with it. I think now I'm starting to have more expectations and we're much more strategic with our visioning and what is next. But you still, as, as proactive as you want to be, you're still going to be reactive uh, because there's different things. And, and that adaptability that I had as a journalist in certain scenarios I think has proved worthwhile because I embrace change. And I think that's one thing you have to do if you want to be successful in anything. You must embrace change. It's a positive. Whether at the moment it seems negative and it's painful, you have to embrace it. 
And that's the only way to succeed is to embrace that change, move forward, see what type of value from a personal sense and an operational sense and business sense that you can provide. But yeah, it's, I had no idea what it could look like. So to answer <laughs> that accurately, I only know what it is. And that's the only bar I have. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's, that's amazing what you've created with the company so far. And obviously you're going to keep growing that, but I'm always, I am always interested because someone, especially if you've had a career for a while, then you become an entrepreneur and it's such a big change because it is all encompassing, all engrossing. And then, yeah, it can be a lot to manage for sure. And with video storytelling, so this is what your company does. And why is storytelling in general though, so important? I mean, there's nothing like story, and, and we've been captivated. Uh, humankind has been captivated by stories from the beginning. Uh, the methods, the, the mediums have changed slightly, but there's no other way to really engage and captivate an audience. It, it humanizes something. We want to see something in someone that is just like ourselves, and it's, it's really the best way to impact somebody, whether you are a, you have a service, you have a product, you're a nonprofit making a difference in the community, there's no better way, more compelling way to share that than through storytelling. It's, it's the one way that, that people really get it. They, you know, it invokes emotion uh, out of somebody if you can tell it in a compelling way. And it's, it's the best way for people to receive that message. We don't want to read anymore, although I'm an avid reader, I enjoy reading. Uh, but for most people, uh, they, they want to see it and they want to hear it and they want to engage with that content and feel captivated. So in that way, that's, that's hands down why storytelling is the best way to do that. Yeah. And obviously it has then many applications and especially in this context with working with different businesses and athletes and, as well, like from before, it's so valuable and that's, it is that connection people form with it. So, so how can then companies and brands better tell their own stories or tell impactful stories that can help them grow their companies? I think maybe the biggest place to start is that they've got to look outside of themselves. A lot of times we look at what we do and we determine what we think is most important or what message is going to resonate with their audience. So the biggest thing is to find out, okay, who is our audience? What is our message? How do we find them? And, and who best to tell the story outside of ourselves? Because that's the most powerful testament to what you're doing or who you're impacting is to have somebody else tell that story about you or about your service or about your product. So I think that is the number one thing and the starting point is to look outside of yourself, really determine who your audience is and what that messaging needs to be, and then find the right people to tell the story about you. And I think in a, in a conventional sense, we used to say, okay, we're the ones telling the story. We're the ones putting out the messaging. You need to find somebody else on the outside to tell the story about you. And, and I think that's where people can go wrong is in that, that first step. And that will really skew the entire process. Yeah. And, and from there then, you know, what are some of those other mistakes that these companies are making when they're trying to do this. So obviously it would be if they're just trying to not, not do what you just said, essentially, but what are some other mistakes that people or these companies are making? I think some of the other mistakes are trying to get everything humanly possible into one video. You need to get very refined with the story that you're telling. And, and that's hard for some, some marketing individuals to understand, or if you have a set budget is 
when we strategize with with a partner and we come in and say, wait, 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 you're trying to tell three or four stories in this one piece. Uh, you're diluting the entire message by doing that. So it's it's really being selective with who your characters are and what your stories are and honing in on one particular story and going with that instead of multiple. Now, over time, hopefully you can tell multiple stories. The other is is maximizing the content that you can capture in one setting. Uh, prime example of that, you know, if you're not doing a specific story, but maybe you have an event. Uh, looking at that event, most people would say, hey, we just we just want a recap video. And we would say, hey, let's let's maximize that value. Yes, the re the recap is great. The gathering of assets to further promote this thing in the future is fantastic. But can we also capture some some testimonials, not only about the event, but about other things. It's about leveraging the opportunities and thinking outside of just that one box. So those are a couple of different examples of, of some mistakes. I, I think it's just not getting the most bang for your buck and not using each situation to leverage, but then it all comes back to telling one one fine story as well. So those are, those are two separate examples and they work separate because an event's certainly different than going to capture one singular story. Yeah. And that actually reminds me kind of of the, um, if you're familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk cause you're in the industry, but, um, using your content that you have, like even like a, a big event, a keynote, whatever it may be. And then turning that content into multiple different, different stories or different pieces of content as well that can kind of tell the story. And it's a little bit different than stories cause it is contextual based on different platforms, but doing more than just like you said, the recap video is, is important to then utilize the assets you have. It's just like anything you're doing day to day, making the most of your time. How can you get the most out of something you make? And even with, with some of the writing I do, it's like I'll post an article or a blog post on just go grind, but then also you can import it to medium. You can also technically import it to LinkedIn as well. And so they're all different ways to distribute then that message. And, and with storytelling too, then with these different stories telling with these different clients and how are you kind of distributing those messages or recommending they distribute their message? It's a good question. You know, that's always, if I'm candid, that's a part of our business that we've always wanted to build upon. Uh, we are fortunate that we're working with some very big partners that have marketing departments all, already in place. So we can, we can strategize uh, to a certain extent where they need to go, but it's more of us working in tandem because they already have some of the distribution channels. And then that's, that's molding the content to fit that delivery, if that makes sense. If we know that yeah. these are for Instagram, then we're going to hit a, a, a sweet spot in time. And we're going we're gonna to shoot it a little bit different if it needs to be delivered in a vertical, a vertical format and look. So we're really working hand in hand with them at the very beginning to figure out, okay, where do these need to go? Uh, we may get into conversations where we, we look at different distribution options for them. Is it a partnership? Is it an influencer campaign where we wanna look for certain people in a certain space on Twitter and say, hey, let's approach them and, and let's, let's make this a deal for both of us, mutually beneficial, and try to partner those pieces together. Uh, but for the most part, a lot of that distribution is already built in and we're just reinforcing it in the, the content that we're producing to make sure it fits where it needs to go. Yeah, that makes that makes complete sense. And I've always kind of wondered that before um, as well, actually, with how that works with agencies. And I'm sure every agency or every company is different with how they produce that. But it is it does need to be in tandem in some capacity because yeah, you're, you're doing these messages and these stories, and that's great. But 
if no one can hear about them or watch them, it doesn't really do any good. So you do have to have you have to have both, obviously. And and with video, so video is obviously very powerful. I'm curious as to like why 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 that is so. Like why is video so powerful? How, and you're focusing on this, and you see this every day. Then how is it so powerful for companies? It's able to tell so much more in a short amount of time uh, by combining visuals with either voiceover or text, people are able to absorb that message a lot easier than the written word. And that's the biggest difference. I mean, people, uh, you know, studies have shown and numbers have, have shown that a certain amount of percentage, a very high percentage is retained watching a video rather than reading. You've got to remember that yeah, our attention spans are, are in the, the dwindling seconds as to how long we can pay attention <laughs> to something and actually fully absorb and focus on it. So in the video, we know it's really important in those first seven to eight seconds, maybe even less, maybe in the five second range where we have to get some attention. But once somebody's in there and they are engaged with it, they are, they are in there willingly and they will take it in. So it's combining all that. It's just much more compelling for the, the human mind to absorb. And that's why it's powerful. Yeah, and it's you see the results and see how even look at the biggest, most powerful companies in the world are prioritizing video. You saw Facebook do that when they could kind of evolve their algorithm to show way more videos, and then LinkedIn when they introduced video to their platform, and the algorithm initially was heavily, heavily favoring video, and it still does to some, to a large degree, but it's kind of evolving from that. But video is powerful, and it can be such a good resource, a good medium for for really any anyone, whether building a personal brand or even building another company, videos, an important piece of that. Yeah. And, and you see, I was going to say, Justin, you see the, the, yeah, data, the data then with the clicks as well. I mean, you see all that is enhanced by video, not only the retention, if you have a key message that you want to share to have it absorbed and have somebody focus and then, you know, commit that to memory as much as possible. But then the click through rates are just exponentially higher when somebody sees a video rather than just a still image or just text. Yeah, again, showing it, showing its power. And then even looking at the search engines, right, with with YouTube and even them showing up in search results for Google because Google owns YouTube. But then also, YouTube is the second, I think, the second biggest search engine. And having videos in there can be so powerful as well. And then even like you said, with the click through rates, especially on LinkedIn as well. I've even noticed that with my stuff. Um, video does really, really well. So it's obviously incredibly important and. You're, you're in video now, but I do want to talk about the broadcasting because you're the voice of Davidson basketball, men's basketball. How did that get started just to kind of change things up a little bit here? Well, to go back a few years uh, prior to I, I graduated college at Walsh University out in North Canton, Ohio, back in 2003. And when I got into that, I initially went to play baseball. I was on a partial academic and athletic scholarship. They're Division two now. So uh, I was attracted there, grew up in Western Pennsylvania, so it was about three and a half hours away. And my, my sophomore year of school, I was looking at the elective classes, and there was a sports broadcasting class, and I thought, whoa, that, that sort of pops off the page. It's a little bit different. This is pretty cool. It can't be too hard. And I went in there, and, and I did really well. And the instructor who was the voice of Walsh Athletics on a local AM station he said, hey, would you be interested? I know the guys that are doing high school football and basketball in the Canton area, which is really a hotbed for high school football. And, and basketball was really strong as well. Would you be interested? I said, 
I, th- I think so. I was taken off guard. You know, I'd never thought about that <laughs> as a potential path or something I would I would be involved with. So fast forward a few years through school, I, I stopped playing baseball and I got into radio and I worked in Canton, Ohio for a while, became a sports director of a small AM station there. And at the time was able to interview Bob Huggins and Jim Trestle. Those were guys at Cincinnati and Ohio State. And yeah. I thought, wow, these guys don't even know who I am. I'm a college student, but they're willing to spend 20 or 30 minutes with me. And then I was doing play-by-play for, for basketball and football in, in the Canton area. So that's, that's sort of where it all started. But from there, I did a couple of years in independent minor league baseball and, and double A with the Akron Arrows, which were the, the Cleveland Indians affiliate, and was really just exposed to this, this radio world. And then out of school, I, I had a mentor. So this might be more than you want to know, but this is sort of the broadcasting path. No, I, no, go for I, it. I try to abbreviate it as much as possible. My neighbor that I grew up beside was the local sports anchor at WJCTV in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, which is an old steel town. And I would come to him in the summers on the porch with my cassette tapes and he would help me critique my broadcast. And he would say, hey, you're doing well in this. Here's some things you need to work on. And I, Tim Rigby was his name. He's still on TV back home uh, on the news side now. And from there, I got a job in my home market as a news reporter for about six months. So fast forward, I have this, this nine-year tenure in, in sports broadcasting. I, I switched out of that news within that six-month period. And then a few years back, uh, right before Davidson was about to go into the Atlantic 10, I've, I've, I've had this relationship with Davidson since 2007 when I came down in various capacities. Uh, we worked with Steph, and then we had done some videos for the sports department as well. And I was talking to the sports information director, Joey Beeler, and he said, do you know anybody that would be interested in helping out on the radio side at Davidson? Because John Kilgo was was getting up there in age. He'd been there for a long time. He, he was really strong in being the voice of Davidson basketball. And he said, they're looking for somebody to potentially succeed him in the next couple of years. And I said, yeah, I actually, I do know a guy that would be interested. Uh, I said, I would be interested in doing that <laughs> because out of all the stuff I'd done in broadcasting over the course of my life, the sports play-by-play for radio, I, I just loved it. You know, you had this opportunity to be the eyes and the ears and to paint a picture. And to me, that was really neat and gratifying uh, to be able to do that for somebody. And so I met with a guy who had the rights at the time. They're now with Learfield IMG, which is, I think they're the biggest now rights holder of of college sports in the country. And this guy, Mark McCann, had the rights. And I talked to him and he said, okay, I'll I'll give you a shot to come in here and do that. And, you know, I, I took this to Tim, my business partner, and I said, hey, Davidson's looking for a guy. This has always been a passion of mine, and I would love to have the opportunity to do it. And, and he gave his blessing and said, go for it, man. You know, I'm never going to hold you back from something that is you're really passionate about. And it wasn't going to take away from my time in a significant way. You know, I, could, I can work yeah. from the road. And so you fast forward to last year was officially named the voice of Davidson basketball. And it is uh, it's a really amazing part of, of what I do. It's almost my personal portfolio, you know, with – with Spiracle Media and the <laughs> Davidson family. Uh, my church family is extremely important to me. I, my wife and my kids, you know, I'm part of all these different families. Uh, but Davidson, uh, incredible. 
uh, that I it, it came back. You know, it sort of bookended my career in broadcasting, where I started there in radio with minor league baseball and play-by-play for basketball and football, and now to work for a really elite basketball program across the country in the A-10. I've been to the NCAA tournament to call a couple games over the last several years. They've won the A-10 regular season. They won a tournament uh, championship as well. It's an exciting thing. And that's how that came about from that conversation. And I'm I'm so thankful that that conversation came out and I was able to facilitate (laughs) it uh, because I get so pumped up uh, to call those games. And I thought about it at the end of last season, which was really neat. I called every single game and every single play of that season. You know, it it was something, it hit me. I was like, wow, I I called every single play for the entire basketball season. And that was, that was really neat, but it's something I'm very passionate about. I'm appreciative to head coach Bob McKillop, a hall of fame coach to be a part of uh, a class program in college basketball. Yeah, and congrats on being then the voice of David ba- Davidson basketball recently. That's that's amazing. Thank you. I and appreciate it. What an opportunity. Yeah, what an opportunity. And I wanted to include that in this because I think it's important to showcase that people, one, they have more than just business. And also then though that how that can tie into ultimately what I want Just Go Ground to be about is people working hard to create businesses that you know make their life better and make the lives of other people better and that's kind of what i'm getting at and so with the broadcasting thing as well uh that's a big part of your life and obviously that helped you though early on with with clients and being connected uh back back then even so it is it can tie into both which is which is super helpful and i know we're almost out of time here so i just want to know kind of one of the last things is always what are some either resources books podcasts audiobooks conferences anything else that have been helpful for you along your entrepreneurial journey like i mentioned earlier you know i'm an avid reader i'm an avid learner uh in the last couple years i I took an sba emerging leaders program course last year and i i know they have those across different regions of the country and that was really helpful to me. It, it broke down into different modules uh, when it comes to, to business slash accounting, marketing, your personal brand, and just how you, you pitch your business. And then also there, there's government work that's attached to that if, if that's right for your business. Uh, another conference that Tim and I have gone to over the last couple of years, we, we missed out on it this past year because my wife had our, our second son. And that's down in New Orleans is where they've had it. And it's put on by Inc. Magazine. It's called GroCo. And it's all about growing your business. And there are some dynamic speakers. There are different uh, concurrent sessions that you can go to. And it's very applicable to different stages of your business. You can find something that's right for you. But it's, it's always great to be in that environment. Uh, we're also part of, of EO Charlotte, which is another resource. Uh, EO is a global organization. Uh, we've been on the Strategic Alliance partner side for a while. Uh, Tim's going to go forth with membership this year and I'm going to maintain the SAP role, but just being in the environment with entrepreneurs because it's very lonely. Uh, Your spouse won't understand it. Uh, Your family doesn't understand it. The only people that understand it are business owners and fellow entrepreneurs. So you'll feel like you're on that island and then you're reminded that your challenges and your problems and your opportunities are not exclusive to yourself. And that is a very, uh, very important thing to keep you sane. Uh, I'd also say on the on the book side, uh, Story Brand by Donald Miller was was one that I recently read. Uh, a couple by Cal Newport, uh, so good they can't ignore you. And Deep Work was very important to me and in, in starting to schedule and segment my day and make work windows and delineate the most important work. 
And then uh, one I'm reading right now was one that was on Bill Gates' reading list, summer reading list, is Presidents of War. And, and that's fascinating. It goes all the way back to the 1800s and the buildup to the War of 1812. But it chronicles the decisions that presidents had to make at key times in the country. So I, I really enjoy history. And I think there are, there are points of application in all those different things. Uh, this fall, I'll be taking a Harvard alumni business class as well. Uh, just to broaden what I don't know. I, there's a lot that I don't know. It's, it's very low. I mean, we, we weren't in business. But no matter what, it's just like life, Justin. You, we don't know a lot. We, we might think we do. But you've got to go in with a mindset and the open mind to continue to learn, to continue to evolve, and to embrace, embrace change. And if you can do that, you can be successful. Uh, you, you need to always just look at how I can build value personally and within your business. What can I do yeah. that is, you know, what can I bring to somebody that adds value to their life or to their need in the business arena? And, and that's it. Yeah, and that's what you build a business off of, right? I mean, you build a business off of offering value and you get paid in return in some capacity. And it's not always financial. Sometimes it's social, sometimes other things as well. But you have to have that. And I'll also echo with different resources and, and books and everything too is to learn outside of your industry and gain insights from people that are in different industries. And um, you'll gain something from that too, not just being <laughs> it siloed into whatever industry kind of you're in and you learn other things from that. And, and one book I read recently, and I think it's just really good, I have to mention is called Not Fade Away, A Short Life uh, Well Lived. And that was suggested by I think Chris Saka on Tim Ferriss's podcast and uh, about a guy who was basically on top of the world with his business and then got cancer at age 50 and had to kind of evaluate what his life was all about and did he do important things or not and it's just kind of a fascinating book as well and so that was one that I just have to mention whenever I can because it was so powerful I read that recently and I think it's for every business owner and person in general you can take a lot away from that as well and, and I love your sense yeah. I, I know we don't have a lot of time but I'd say yeah you know when we confuse our passion with value you've got to really weigh those things when you look to move uh, with because they're, they're certainly different our passion might lead us somewhere that we don't want to go or vice versa and the same with adding value so those are some things you have to evaluate yeah oh for sure and then jared where can people go to learn more about your company and all that you're doing you can find out more about us spiraclemedia.com and also our vimeo channel if you just search spiracle media out there and, and we're out there in all the major social media platforms uh, my personal link linkedin you can look up me jared latch and there, there's some different uh blog posts that i've had up there over the last couple of years on just different uh, aspects of the business. But, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate you having me, Justin. This is enjoyable. It's, uh, it's therapeutic in a way to share some of the things that we <laughs> face on the, the business side and in the life of an entrepreneur. So I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Jerry, for coming on the show. And I'll also be a, uh, be sure to link up everything that we've talked about in this episode so people can get in contact with you, check out the resources you mentioned as well. So thank you again for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it, my friend. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. 
justgrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.